We are blessed beyond measure by all the gifts the Lord has given us to share with each other in the church. And the greatest gift he gives us is himself through his word and through his spirit. As we, well, as we give thanks for what we have, how we have worshiped together so far this morning, as we prepare to hear God's word, let's again go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, thank you for calling us into worship this morning. And thank you for working in the details of all of our lives so that we have ended up here and now. Lord, we ask as we listen to the scripture, as we hear your word proclaimed, that you speak to each one of us. We pray that you work through your word and through your spirit. And Father, if we are in need of, of reassurance and, and of peace today, then give us deeply of your peace. Lord, if we are at a, a place in life where we are full of anxiety, then we ask that you help us to, to bring that to you. And Lord, if life is overflowing with blessings, then we pray that you help us to rejoice more and more. Father, you know each one of us better than we know ourselves we pray that you provide what each one of us needs this morning. Amen. So we're in a few weeks of a sermon series called Really Anxious and Real Peace. We're going to read from Philippians 4 this morning, and then next week we're going to have Mission Emphasis Week. And the sermon next week is going to tie in with the anxiety series somewhat, but the real focus is going to be on the, the mission work that God calls and equips us to. And then in a couple weeks from this morning, we will again pick up this Philippians 4 text and continue to reflect on it. We're going to reflect more on the beginning today, more on the end in a couple weeks, but somewhat all the way through. And with this series, every time I've mentioned that, that there are three goals. One is just that we acknowledge our anxiety, that we acknowledge that we are imperfect and struggling and suffering people. And, and instead of shoving that under the rug, we we open it up so that we can see God's grace even through and in our anxious times. And along with acknowledging our anxiety, I want to I hopefully provide some tools for us, not necessarily to escape our anxiety, many of us live with these things for our whole lives, but to find ways to endure, to find ways that we can, in God's strength, carry on even through the hard times. And then I also hope that we can open our eyes to, to grow through our anxious times, to find ways that we can grow in the Lord even through our most difficult times. With that said, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read Philippians 4 from verse 4 to verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. 
So we're going to start by talking about rejoicing and rejoicing, among other things, that the Lord is near. That's the key to our rejoicing, that the Lord is near. And I want to invite you this morning to reflect on different reasons you might have to rejoice in your life. If you think of, if you think of well, I'm called to rejoice, what might you rejoice in? And there are and there are a lot of things that we can rejoice in. Some of them really legitimate and some of them maybe not so much, but, but maybe you could rejoice in what you've accomplished in your life and in, in the things that you have done, in the ways that you have worked hard and gotten to, gotten to a certain level, to a certain, well, whatever your particular accomplishment might be. And you can, I think you can legitimately rejoice in that. Now, if that turns into self-righteousness and look at how great I am, maybe that's not such a legitimate rejoicing. But I think there is legitimacy in saying, look, look at the good things I have done with what I've been given. And you maybe could, you maybe could rejoice in the identity you have. Rejoice that you belong to such and such a family or, or such and such a union or such and such a company or such and such a group. And, and those can be real reasons to rejoice or they can be maybe not so helpful things to focus around. Or maybe you can rejoice in your relationships. You can rejoice in the wonderful marriage that you have and, and the relationships you have with your parents or, or your children or the friendships you have. And, and those can be great things to rejoice in. Relationships are a gift from God. Or maybe you, could, maybe you could rejoice that even as you sit here today, you can say, my life is largely free of anxiety. Wonderful. Maybe... Maybe we could spend all morning just thinking about all the blessings you have and all the reasons you have to rejoice. But all the reasons we have in this life, well, almost all of them are very contingent. They depend on other things. They, they might fail. Circumstances might change. Your life might change. You might change. And then those things that you rejoice in now could go away. And in every blessing, every reason we have to rejoice, there is a temptation to pride, to self-sufficiency, to looking down on other people, and, and to rejoicing not in what we have, but in how we are better than those other people. And brothers and sisters, that is not legitimate rejoicing. But the reason we have to rejoice that, that is eternal, that is perpetual, that is always there, that never, ever ends, is to rejoice because the Lord is near. Rejoice, and we can say it again, rejoice, and, and the greatest reason for that is that the Lord is near. Now, this particular text doesn't list out so many ways we can experience the Lord being near, but, but thinking over Philippians 2 that we read earlier in God's will for our lives, and, and if you take some time and you read through the whole book of Philippians this afternoon, maybe, not that I'm giving you an assignment, but it's a good suggestion, there are some particular ways that we might be reminded that the Lord is near. And the first of these is for us to remember the incarnation of the Son of God. Philippians and the whole story of the Bible in some sense revolves around the reality that Jesus, the Son of God, Lord and God from all eternity, did not, did not stay up in heaven, but He came down to us. He took on human nature. He became, along with remaining fully one of the persons of the Lord, he became a human being. He took on our nature. He became like one of us. And so whatever, whatever struggles we experience in this life, we can know that the Lord truly understands because He went through everything we go through and worse. 
And you know, whatever joys we experience, whatever, whatever blessings we have, we can, we can also look to the Lord Jesus experiencing those and giving thanks that the Lord really, really deeply, truly understands us. Whatever our life circumstance, the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ reminds us that, that human life has value, that in the struggles and the blessings, the Lord has given real worth to our lives. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, His coming down and taking on our nature, gives us real reason to rejoice in the Lord. But there is, there is a challenge with the incarnation that that's a couple thousand odd years away from us and might feel very distant. But, but along with the incarnation of the Lord, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if you read through the Bible, if you read through the Old Testament, the person of the Holy Spirit, He, he comes down for a little bit. He comes down on particular people for a particular task or a particular time, and then the Holy Spirit again is withdrawn. But after Pentecost, when we come to the New Testament, when we come to the letter to the Philippians, we see that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within God's people. Yes, God is reigning over all the universe. Yes, 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 all of that. But yes, at the same time, the Holy Spirit is within you all the time wherever you are, in every circumstance. No matter how, how good your life is and how self-sufficient you might feel, no matter how bad your life is and how alienated and separate from God you might feel, if you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is within you. And this is, this is not dependent on our feelings. This is not dependent on how good we've been lately. This is an objective reality that that Jesus Christ took on human nature and so brought us back to the Lord, and the Holy Spirit himself dwells within us all the time. And with these, with these realities in play, with this in front of us, we can come to that next command, which is, well, to be honest with you, rather scary. Do not be anxious. We maybe should have had a drum roll before that and a different tone of voice. Do not be anxious. And you know, a lot of people have, have pointed out that when they hear this command, now I'm anxious about all the other things I was anxious about, and I'm anxious about not fulfilling this command. So my anxiety gets spiked by being told not to be anxious. And then we get in this cycle, this cycle of, well, I'm anxious, but I should stop. So now I feel guilty about being anxious, and now I'm worried that I'm more anxious, and so my anxiety goes up, and then I feel more guilty, and there's this just spiral we can get into of I'm not measuring up to what I'm supposed to do and be, and then I'm, uh, and then, and then, and then, and it goes on and on and on. And the command, do not be anxious, should be good news and is good news, but but it can sound like, okay, don't be anxious about anything, and now I'm more anxious about everything. How do we, how do we work with this command? And I want to start by reflecting a little bit on what, what distinctions we might make in terms of what anxiety means, and then we'll go to some more, some more strategies for how to deal with anxiety. And I want to start by talking about the difference between involuntary anxiety involuntary anxiety. So involuntary and voluntary anxiety. And I want you to picture yourself driving a car to kind of get a sense of this. And involuntary anxiety is anxiety that we can't help. That's just a condition of being who we are. 
My parents bought a real junker of a car a few years ago because they needed a cheap car, and they found one for like 500 bucks. And, and you know if you buy a car for $500, there will be a long list of issues. And there was. But the worst one was that this car had gotten in an accident, and the right front wheel always wanted to go right. So if you were driving it straight down the road, the car was inevitably running into the curb all the time. Couldn't help it. So if you wanted this car to go straight, you had to drive to the left all the time, and you could sort of wobble down the road crooked. And some of us, some of us on some level have been either beaten up by life or just because of who we are genetically or environment or whatever, we simply can't help being anxious. We simply cannot help it. Our ground state is always being pulled toward being unsettled toward being anxious, toward being afraid, toward being worried. For some of us, this is just a reality of our lives. And, and like a lot of other troubles we might experience, I don't think we're specifically responsible for it, but we still have to deal with it all the time. And like a lot of other troubles in our life, maybe you can improve it, but, but maybe you can't. Maybe it's just one of those things in your life that isn't entirely fixable. For some of us, we just live with involuntary anxiety. And for a lot of us, we live with what I might call voluntary anxiety. And that's, that's more like if you're driving a car and you're just all over the place because you can't be bothered to pay attention and there's all kinds, don't drive like this because your steering wheel is not going to be attached to the car, but, but you're just all over the place. And some of us honestly choose to be anxious because, because at the same time that we hate it, we kind of like it. Maybe we like the drama, or we like the adrenaline, or, or we like being in that place where we're always ready to fight or fight, fight or flight. And maybe we don't enjoy it, but, but we can't necessarily change it. But there is some level where, where maybe right now or maybe in the past we chose to embrace anxiety. And somehow in our lives it's serving, or at least we feel like it's serving, a helpful function. Involuntary and voluntary anxiety. And, and it can be worth reflecting, which are you experiencing? And to some extent, the, well, the medical or the mental or the spiritual prescription might be the same, but it's worth reflecting for yourself and maybe even more for other people. How much is this a choice and how much is it not? And you may have people in your life for whom anxiety is a reality and not a choice. And so the gracious thing is to help them process that, not to say, well, obey this command. It's worth reflecting on what we can and can't do. And then there's another couple types of anxiety that I think we need, to, we need to get in front of us. And that's, and I'm not sure if there's better language for this, but this is what I got. Irrational and rational anxiety. Some of us have what you might call irrational anxiety. In, coll uh, in college, I knew someone who had their first car, and anytime you drove with them, the radio had to be off, and the windows had to be down, and the conversation had to be muted because they had to listen for anything that was going wrong with their car. And anytime you rode with them, there was something going wrong with their car, at least in their perception, because every little sound they got worried about. What's that rattle? It's the keys in the ignition. What's that bump? You just went over a speed bump. Some of us just get ourselves all wound up all the time and, and we're spiritually going around or mentally going around with our windows down just waiting for a cause to be anxious. Others of us, 
do not have that particular problem, but, but we're driving along, so to speak, and there's this constant thub, 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 thub. And if you hear that sound in your car, you better pull over because your tire is probably about to fall off or some other bad thing is going to happen. And, and in some of our lives, we really do have reason. We have reason to be afraid. We have reason to be worried. There is that bad thing that happened that might happen again. Or there is that, that big thing coming up that we're not sure if we can handle. Or, or there is that relationship that's really hard. There are times when anxiety is absolutely a rational and sensible response. Now, tracing out these types of anxiety doesn't probably reduce anybody's anxiety. But what it might do what it might do is help us to understand that command a little bit better and to reflect on how there, there is not necessarily a one-size-fits-all prescription for not being anxious. If you are wired in such a way, whether it's genetics or experience or whatever, that, that you are always being pulled toward anxiety, then you have to wrestle with that reality. If you aren't wired that way, but, but you've just gotten into this habit, into this tendency of always being worried about everything... Well, maybe there's a different way to deal with that. And I think the key here, the key here that I really want you to hear is to be careful how you apply that command to other people. C.S. Lewis wrote a couple times after, after his experience as a frontline soldier in World War I, which you can imagine was unbelievably horrific, after that experience, he always had a certain amount of polite, to, I think what he called polite distaste for people who sat back at home and urged the soldiers on the front line to be brave. If you are not in the front lines of a battle, be cautious, be wise about how you apply these commands to other people because they may be experiencing things that you simply do not have any clue about. So yes, don't be anxious and reflect on that for yourself, what that looks like. But in dealing with other people, be gracious, be kind, be patient. And now let's talk about some ways that we can deal with these different types of anxiety. And, and the text itself here goes on and says, don't be anxious, but rather. And that's a strong conjunction there. It's a don't do this, but rather seek the solution here. And the solution that the Bible gives us, which should not surprise you, is to pray is to pray and to pray with requests and thanks. Don't be anxious, but pray. Bring your petitions and your requests and bring your gratitude and your thanksgiving to the Lord. And I guess as I say that, some of you are disappointed and you're saying, I wanted the three easy steps. I wanted the new fresh thing I could do. I wanted, and that's not what the Bible gives us. What the Bible gives us is always a turn back to the Lord. Always, always a turn back to the Lord. So let's unpack this a little bit. Let's talk about requests and thanks. And, and there's some different ways we could break this down, but I want to focus with the requests more on that involuntary and voluntary anxiety. And then with the thanks, we'll think about more rational and irrational anxiety. What if we come to the Lord with requests about our anxiety? And by the way, if you aren't struggling with anxiety, you can fill in depression or grief or anger or pretty much any struggle you want, really. We all have some kind of mental, spiritual thing in our lives. Well, let's say that you, you don't feel like you can control it. 
like you're just helpless in front of it. There is nothing you can do. It is just there for you all the time. And what do you do with that? And one answer is you do the medical stuff, you do the lifestyle stuff, you do the counseling, you do all this stuff, but, but at the end of the day, what you do with that is you bring it to the Lord. You bring it to the Lord. And if you feel like it's, it's not involuntary, but you are, you're stuck in this pattern of continually worrying about everything and you're tired of it, but, but you just keep going there, well, you bring it to the Lord. And if you are in a place where you feel totally helpless, that you, and this is probably not addressing the people in the room because you're all here, but, but you feel like you can't get up in the morning, you can lay there and you can pray, even if all you can say is help. Bring it to the Lord. And maybe you're honestly not sure, is this something I've chosen or is this something that just is? What do I do? with? Well, bring it to the Lord. Ask Him for clarity. Ask Him for help. And if you're, you're in a place where you can recognize that, yeah, I'm steering all over the place and I'm choosing this and this is not what I want, bring it to the Lord and ask Him to change you. Bring it to the Lord. And there is, well, there are a couple deep realities to the Christian life. And one of them is that the Lord does heal us in amazing and remarkable and unbelievable ways. There are times that the Lord sets us free from bondage that we thought we would never experience in this life, and that is a wonderful thing. But another reality of the Christian life is that sometimes what the Lord calls us to is not freedom from our anxiety, but instead the power to endure. And so it may be that you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, free me from this. Take it away. I don't want it. I don't like it. And the Lord's answer is endure. I will give you the strength you need to persevere. Sometimes life is not about eliminating our suffering, but in the power of the Lord, simply enduring it. And now let's, let's talk about giving thanks. There is this evidence-based and data-driven reality that giving thanks actually changes our lives for the better. There are studies out there that show living a grateful life makes our relationships better. Living a grateful life actually helps us sleep better. Being regularly thankful actually increases the longevity of our lives. So on a purely practical level, praying prayers of thanksgiving is a way to concretely make your life better. If giving thanks to God was a pill that you could pop and get all the benefits, this pill would be the most demand medicine in the world. And I am here to tell you, you all have a free prescription. All you have to do is give thanks to the Lord. And the more that you pay attention to your blessings, the more that you remark upon what God has given to you, the more that you rejoice, the better your life gets. This is... This is, I think, a God-made mechanism that he made us to be people when we express gratitude, our lives get better. And it's also a God-worked reality that the more we give thanks to the Lord, the more he is able to work in us and the more, the more he is able to draw us into a life that is more and more the life of Christ. I want to land today by coming back to Christ's incarnation and the Holy Spirit's indwelling in us. Because you might still be sitting there thinking, I, that's nice, you've said all that. I'm still anxious. Okay, that's fair. But you can know 
And this is objective reality. This is not feeling. You can know that Jesus Christ was born, that he lived a full human life, that he experienced suffering beyond what we can understand, that, that he himself bore a greater burden than any of us bear. And in his power, through his power, we too can live that kind of life. More and more as we are united to Christ, we share in his life. And so objectively speaking, this is available to you. And it's not even just available to you. If you belong to Jesus, you have this kind of life. And you have that through the indwelling power of the Spirit. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of how paralyzed by anxiety or, or taken over by anger or just overwhelmed by depression, no matter what you feel, the Holy Spirit is with you and within you. And so the next time that you feel paralyzed or the next time you feel like you've got to run away or got to start a fight or or whatever, you can trust that the Lord is at work in your life. He is. He is. And so even though our anxiety may not go away, even though we live with all kinds of troubles in this life, we can trust that Jesus is for us and the Holy Spirit is with us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as anxious and broken people. We all have the things in our lives that are twisted around or broken down that pull us where we don't want to go. And we all have the choices that we make that pull us where we want to go but shouldn't go. Lord, please heal us. Please repair and restore our lives and our souls. And Lord, we also come to you at the same time, at the very same time as, as grateful people, as people who have been so blessed and so we want, we want more and more to be able to give thanks to you and to live lives that are full of gratitude. And we pray that you enable us to do that. Father, help us to cast our cares on you and help us always to bring our thanks to you. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.